Hey everybody, you've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. And this is Josh. It is Tuesday, June 28th, 2022. It's almost the start of a whole other month, and then it's going to be like, I don't know, summer's... Well, I don't even know when summer starts. People are always like, oh, it's not even officially summer yet, but I'm like, it's hot. So, like, isn't that summer? But it's not... Yeah, I don't know what here the- it's later than you think, because it seems like we've already been in the trenches of it with, like, a plus 40 outside day that the sun just punching you in the face but it's like what june 20th or something or like what's the start which that that doesn't even make sense june is summer come on well it goes with school right in high school so you're (laughs) off in high school july and august right yeah i think you finished Jeez, it's been a little while but i feel like exams in june at some point and maybe your last day of school was mid june like june 13th type thing maybe you used to be able to mark things with summer blockbusters but now it's confusing because summer blockbusters get released all over the place Mm. whereas before i think it was batman or indiana jones or stuff like that i believe was in the actual kind of kids off for summer months because they were trying to give product for kids to come see yeah and that's now we just we have so much product in a different way but not not in the summer blockbuster way we should just be playing the mag constantly but you know (laughs) i guess people aren't really coming out to that anymore when you buy your own cinema Uh, you can you can have shark film festivals i could too we already know that there is at least one for sale (laughs) right now so but i'm not going to be doing that that's part of your bank pitch you've just got this powerpoint presentation with all shark movies my god like it might do well for the first week as a gag but then after that you're like "Ah, this didn't seem like a good i can't get jaws so what's what am i doing here jaws has been on some of the nerd twitter feeds everyone hates twitter rightfully so because it's just politics and trump and people yelling at each other they kick trump off but it doesn't help because there's still trump people there right Yeah, they're still talking about him so he might as well be there but I just don't look at that stuff. Yeah. And I don't know if it's a healthy thing to just be ignore it and it will go away. Yeah. But all of my Twitter is nerds and comic books and movies and filmmakers and other cinemas and stuff like that. So recently, I think it's because the release date anniversary of Jaws, mm-hmm. speaking of summer movies, I believe just passed was yesterday, the day before. So all these retro sites have been putting up these really cool newspaper ads for the movie, book ads for the movie, merch ads which I think was relatively new mm-hmm. for adults to be like, you can get a Jaws shirt for one ninety seven at Kmart. I could be wrong, but I don't think there was grown-up shirts for Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. So it was Jaws, and then Star Wars, of course, mm-hmm. that started that, for better or for worse, merchandising that we all have now. Yeah, I mean, and Jaws was literally the first blockbuster as it's known these days. That's pretty wild. And that Jaws game, like I always think of that, even though it, maybe it wasn't the best game, but the actual physical game that you had to try to pull out junk out of his mouth, you know? I commented on that where somebody posted the ad for that. And I said, I was really young, four or five years old. And Jaws was years before that. Jaws was before I was born. But a cool older cousin of mine had that game. I just remember it was awesome. It was so different than anything before. Like, mm-hmm. instead of just being a board game, it was this 3D physical monster toy yeah. with a bit of animation to it. Oh, it was awesome. Man, I, I always think of my, my dentist as a kid. They had that sweet, the fairly tall Godzilla that would shoot its foot, its hand, I should say. Yeah. Not its foot. That would have been good, too. But it was like, yeah, like it was, well, I was a kid, so it seemed bigger than it was. But it was bigger than a foot. It must have been like almost a foot and a half tall. Was that the one that the tongue blipped out? I think so. Yeah, pretty sure. I just remember it, it was 
was missing the hand. Obviously, some kid had blasted it across the room and it went somewhere, but we still thought that was such a cool toy. And now I remember looking it up a few years ago and it's crazy expensive, obviously. Oh, yeah. And probably because the tongue broke and the hand was lost and everything (laughs) like that. Like, and... Was it Godzilla or was it giant green fire hand monster? Ooh, that's, you know what? Because I never saw the box. They just had it and I knew it was Godzilla. So I never really questioned it. I'm going to look that up after we do this podcast. Yeah. I love that toy too. Same thing. It was a cool older cousin. If I was five, they might have been 12 or something. Yeah. And they had that. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought of it, but that must have been like one of the earliest things that turned me into kind of a monster kid. Just like little yeah. things here and there, like Saturday Night at the Movies, going to the dentist and seeing a big Godzilla, the library, obviously, just these little formative memories. Do you remember the Ray Harryhausen Clash of the Titans? Mm-hmm toy it was big too because they had i forget how big they were i think they were bigger than star wars size but they had action figures for a few characters but then they had the pegasus Mm -hmm. but then they had the giant like a real big toy i remember all those too and i don't think they were they were not the cultural footprint that star wars was or anything like that no and i remember like they were trying to push battlestar galactica for a while too and it just that's such an interesting thing because you could tell they wanted to be star wars so bad merch sale wise yeah and it i don't really know if i knew any kids that had any of them at all but I, i was aware of them yeah at the time i bet you you could get them cheap i bet you after a few months on the shelves at the toy store they were like uh we got to make room for more star warses yeah and like cylons were cool i could see you know collecting those like lee collects lobots you know having a bunch of cylons would be kind of cool but beyond that and some of the and the ships were cool obviously i don't know i almost feel like if i hadn't been a star wars kid which obviously i was like pretty much everyone it would have been neat to have a stockhold of those toys like battlestar galactica stuff because it's like you'd be the only one basically yeah I remember some point along the line seeing the designs for the Cylon (laughs) and seeing the autograph of Ralph McQuarrie designing them. And I'm like, oh, this all makes sense now. The Star Wars guy designed this. Yeah, and especially some of the ships, you know, are just, if they were in Star Wars, you wouldn't bat an eye, you know? No, (laughs) I think there's one ship that essentially looks like they snap the x-wings off an x-wing <laughs> yeah basically and yeah. you're like hey look a ship <laughs> yeah and it's like yeah, i don't know it's, it was cool and as kids we sure didn't care because we wanted it to be star wars so, and so did they so there i wonder how well it did because the movie was theatrical but it was essentially a backdoor pilot to get the tv series i think right mm-hmm. so i don't think they cared if the movie made a ton of money that was almost just like advertising yeah and then the show was on for a couple years and but it wasn't on for like 10 years or anything no and it's weird that that ended up having the reboot that was way better reviewed than the original was oh yeah and like was critically acclaimed i still didn't see it but I mean, oh really people, yeah. it's good not on purpose but just didn't get to it but people raved about it. that was like event television in the time oh yeah and it's one of the many examples of just because it's a remake doesn't mean it's bad because yeah. a lot are good of course the thing is the biggest example where mm. John Carpenter's The Thing is a five-star horror movie masterpiece. Yeah. And it's a remake. Yeah. So, and I mean, I'm very forgiving to most, I don't know if I want to say most remakes, but to a lot of remakes. There's many that I, I guess I could say I love. I mean, not in the same way that I love Star Wars, but you know, in the way that I love a good night at the movies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think we're more gentle with 
horror remakes or horror reboots or horror reimaginings just because we like it you know we're we're easy critics if we had a Siskel and Ebert (laughs) we would just be like this is great over and over again there'd be no conflict yeah yeah you're like two thumbs kind of middle up I guess there'd be riot in the streets when we did an episode about how much we liked the Netflix Texas Chainsaw oh god I love sequel reboot whatever that was yeah and like it seems like there's more people cautiously admitting that they enjoyed it now but it's also like they're now saying they might be doing one or possibly two sequels to it yeah and so i'm just avoiding the comment sections because i'm just like there's only only so many times i need to see oh, why it sucked oh, you know and oh, i'm just like yeah not dealing with this i'm on the message board for this podcast that i love called the retroist and most of it is all very positive and just hey look at this old photo and look at this old movie review and i like this and just nerds talking about stuff we like but i admit i avoid the specific threads on Stranger Things or Obi-Wan or Star Trek because that's where the negativity comes out where it's people being like this isn't exactly what I wanted mm-hmm. and I'm like um, I'm too busy to bother arguing with you you be angry over there that's fine and if I would say I really liked Obi-Wan instead of going oh that's good it just breeds more anger for some reason yeah so I just I'm like yeah if you don't like it cool but I loved it yeah no I've, I've stayed almost completely out of it apart from you know there was one person was just like oh wow why was so and so on Tatooine and I was like oh because of this and then they were like oh so you're justifying and they did this thing and I was like exactly. I was just answering your question and then that's where it ended thankfully but I was just like I could not care less about this I was just thought you were actually asking I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. it was like oh you co-sign on every decision ever made on Star Wars it's like oh, not, not so much that 100% happened to me before where I thought I was unironically, unsarcastically, untroll-y <laughs> replying and going, oh, and it made them just angrier. And I'm like, oh, well, this isn't a fun conversation. No, it's not. It's not like that. Yeah, I didn't think Obi-Wan was 100% perfect, but for me, it was 98% perfect. <laughs> I don't know. Like- I like, too, there's some people who counter with these very funny threads of being like, you know what the biggest plot hole was in Obi-Wan? <laughs> There was two different actors playing him in the TV show and in the movie that came afterwards. Man, I really, there was some, some sort of trivia or whatever. When Sir Alec Guinness played Obi-Wan, he had not yet seen the prequels <laughs> to, make it, to do the same character. And I was like, oh, that's my kind of comedy. What I really like is weird, self-made kind of retconning where it's like now if I watch the original trilogy, I picture Hayden Christensen in that suit Mm -hmm. and there's weird little moments like a lot of it is false memory people get really mad about the disney trilogy where they're like luke and han didn't do anything together and i'm like luke and han barely did anything together in the first trilogy like the first movie for sure the second movie han saved luke from the cold and then they both went off on separate adventures and didn't see each other for the whole movie yeah and then in return of the jedi they save han from jabba And then they're kind of together a bit on Endor, but are both on separate paths. So people have this false memory. I think a lot of it is helped by comic books and books they might have read or Mm -hmm. whatever. But Obi-Wan and Leia do not do anything in A New Hope. They come to save her. Obi-Wan goes off to do his thing, gets killed by (laughs) Vader. Spoiler alert. Hey, hey, buddy. What are you doing? And that's it. But they don't have a conversation or anything. So people really want to find plot holes in something that is goofy fiction, where I'm just like... Oh, can't you just watch it? And we're so deep now where there's people who are like, I didn't like the prequels. I didn't like the Disney movies. I didn't like Disney Plus. Where I'm like, okay, that's cool, but maybe you should be spending your time doing something else because you clearly don't like this. Yeah, and it seems like most seem to at least like some of The Mandalorian, if not most of it. Yeah. And like most seem to like Rogue One. 
And that's about it. And even that, I've definitely seen people who dislike those two things as well. But it seems like, for the most part, the people who kind of hate most all of Star Wars will be like, well, you know, I kind of enjoyed that, I guess. But you know, As soon as that, the Ewoks showed up, I was out. Yeah, it's like a lot easier to hate something, I suppose. But at least some common ground is good, I guess. But then you sent over... I don't know where you found it. You yeah. sent over the anti-Michael Keaton... What were they doing? They were Yeah, it seemed to me like it was like kind of in a, in a comic book or like almost like a wizard magazine type of thing, but yeah. not that obviously. It was like it was basically just like a dear editor or whatever. Please sign this petition. Yeah, like Michael Keaton is great at comedy, I'll admit. These movies he did are good, but he could not play Batman. <laughs> you know, there's no way and it's it's so much funnier obviously with how it went, but that he's still now playing Batman in whatever Flash or whatever it is, you know, like it's And hilarious. many a nerd are like that's my Batman. Yeah, and and I don't know. Obviously, I was way too young. Like, I mean, I was seven when that Batman came out. So, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know who the hell Keaton was, to be quite honest. They must have felt foolish when the movie came out and, although not universally critically acclaimed, made a dump truck full of money mm-hmm. and sold more merchandise than anything since Star Wars, probably. Yeah. They must have been like, oh, okay, maybe we were wrong. Yeah, and it's, it's also funny that you must think how much the Jack Nicholson thing was so integral to getting it made in a way. Because, yeah. like, obviously with people not being like, oh, is Keaton going to be able to pull this off? Can he even headline a non-comedy movie? Then you need, that's, I mean, because, I don't know, we've talked about before the crazy contract that Nicholson signed that he's still getting paid for. Oh, yeah. For Batman. They must have been pretty desperate to have a name attached in a way because you, you could picture Nicholson playing the Joker going into that movie. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah obviously that guy can do that. It was a weird thing where Jack Nicholson was top billed on the poster of the movie called Batman. (laughs) (laughs) So Batman was second billed in Batman, which I always think is kind of funny where even in that little thing of poster advertising, they had to be like, no, no, put him first. Yeah. And it's still funny if you think about it, that Prince was involved at all. Like just that they wouldn't even think to have Prince and that he would do it. You know, like it's amazing that he did it, obviously. And like Prince is awesome. But who the hell was it in that room that was like, you know who we ought to get for the soundtrack of this movie people are unsure of? Prince. (laughs) I think that it was a very early, if not the first example of that, that they make fun of on The Simpsons. But that synergy of Warner Brothers was doing Prince albums. Warner Brothers owned the Batman comic. Mm -hmm. Warner Brothers is making the Batman movie. So all these things were just like, hey, we already own Prince music. Let's get him to do it. And you see that now, years later, it's kind of calmed down a bit, but you'll see a random pop song stuck into the end credits of a movie. And it's totally because they own that song. So they're like, oh yeah, let's put a song there. It'll help our sales. And I remember it was when they had, strangely enough, at the end of Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, there was an Avril Lavigne song. (laughs) And it was 100% because it was the same company. Yeah. Owned that record company, owned that film company. So they were like, oh yeah, just slap that in there. Yeah, and I think she was in a, like, How to Train Your Dragon, possibly both of them as well. And probably the same thing. I imagine it was the same studio. Yeah, and so it's not that it's thematic or written for it. I think that's what makes it so hard to do soundtracks. I remember with... A lot of the John Hughes stuff, when it came out on VHS, it didn't have the pop songs because they were so expensive. And I just imagine doing like a Quentin Tarantino type movie where he doesn't care. where He's like, nope, I want this song, this song, this song. Nobody's going to Quentin and being like, well, we could only pick from the Warner's library. Yeah. 
So that must be such a big chunk of the budget of just getting all these songs that he specifically wants. Yeah, and I think that too is stuff like like the Big Chill, and, you know, like American Graffiti and just yeah. how Forrest Gump, you know, like just stuff that's so, the soundtrack's so integral. It literally makes the movie in some ways. So it's funny to think it happens a lot with the older TV shows, especially like Wonder Years and ALF maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Just, we'll say it just to say it. People lose their minds over the DVDs not having the original stuff. And I get both sides because I mean... On the one hand, you're like, okay, we want to get the best package out there. But on the other hand, it'll cost as much to license the music as it will to remaster three seasons of material. Anytime I hear a David Bowie song or a Mm. Beatles song pop up on a TV show... I'm always taken out of the moment and I always go, wow, they spent some money there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's the same with like, or like CCR is one I think about a lot. Or I think I heard a Dylan's on the other day on a modern ad or whatever. And right. it made me think about how he had recently sold his publishing rights. Oh know? yeah. That's the first thing I thought about. You just hear a Dylan song. And I was like, oh wow. Like this wouldn't have happened five years ago, but now they're just like, oh yeah, we got this. You want, you know, like insurance companies, you got it, you know, whatever you want. Yeah. Cause there's a weird thing of doing a remake of a song Mm-hmm. from scratch with a known artist is cheaper than just getting a Beatles song or a Bowie song. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you'll see that in an action movie, a classic song, a retro song will pop up and it catches your ear and you're like, well, that's not David Bowie yeah. because it was super cheaper to get some present day famous pop star yeah. to record the song than just use the one that they already have. It's like David Bowie, like B-O-O-E-Y. We're like, well, he's yeah. pretty good, but I find like it goes one way or the other. Either they try to ape the exact sound of the voice, but your brain is like, something's not quite right. Or they go the other way and it's kind of slowed down or it's an orchestral one. Or nowadays they're kind of doing more of the like electronic elements and it's slowed down and it's in spirit cover. And that can work. Birds of Prey or whatever, I think that had a couple of those covers but they were different enough and modern enough that it kind of was its own thing yeah it's fascinating and that's why everyone's while the movie comes out and doesn't have any of the music mm-hmm. and it's whoever it's Jimi hendrix or something you're like well that doesn't make sense at all yeah and like that and i think is that new elvis movie like is that they don't have his songs or was it that i don't know there, it might not be that one but there was one i know that there was a hendrix one where they couldn't use any of the music i think elvis which i kind of like I could be wrong, but I think it's the actor actually performing the songs. Okay, so it's not their cover. The whole thing's covered. Which I find less distracting because when you're watching a movie, you're like, well, that's not Elvis. Mm -hmm. I think they did the same thing with... Walk the Line. Walk the Line. The Doors, I think. They did that. Where I prefer that because I'm like, yeah, this is a different version. This isn't the guy. And it's close enough that it's not bad. (laughs) But you can tell like it's not, you know, because it's... Lip syncing, you would instantly know. Always. Yes. Always. The best lip syncer. There's something. There's something in the human spidey sense that you can just look at it. And I remember I love, like everybody, I love Oh Brother or Art Thou. And every time Clooney sings in that, it's just like, you're not singing. No. I'd rather him sing and not sound perfect (laughs) than have some famous country star singing for him. Yeah. I just find it so distracting. No, man, I was watching something uh, yesterday with Tim Blake Nelson, and I was like, oh, brother, where are they? Oh, yeah. It's like, it's the dumb guy. I mean, with all due respect. The pinnacle role, the dumb guy in a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. Oh, my favorite. And I can't, he's just one of those actors where, like, I'll never not think of that. But when I see his name, I'll be like, oh, it's that guy. He's like a big, famous, award-winning director and actor, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, dummy! That's a th- yeah, and I feel bad for them. He's probably an auteur at this point, but I'm yeah. like, oh, one role, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let us chat about the movie's screening the week of Friday, July 1st. Good week. Canada Day week. Yeah, and a really uh, interesting slate this week. Yeah, so we'll start with some Canadian content. We are screening a digital restoration with thanks to our friends at the 
American genre film archive, Ooh. who we love. Oh, best. Uh, the 1977 classic Rabid. Oh, I really thought you were going to say Star Wars. Star Wars. No. I, no. You, there's no the, way in the hell. The other movie that came out in 77. <laughs> there were two classics two. that year. <laughs> and Rabid, besides for being a movie from Baby Cronenberg, mm-hmm. is also produced by Ivan Reitman. Oh, yeah. So it's two powerhouses you know of course Cronenberg went on to do The Fly and Naked Lunch and all these big movies crash yeah and then Ivan Reitman on the other side of things went on to do Ghostbusters and giant comedies so it's very interesting that these are two filmmakers who collaborated on this movie I think when they were pretty young yeah. like in their early 20s maybe and it's just early Cronenberg at its best. It's mm-hmm. it's weird and Canadian and creepy and body horror and all that stuff. Man, and I think I think Ivan Reitman around that same time had produced Cannibal Girls with Eugene Levy. Yeah. And I love there's just a feel to those mid seventies Canadian low budget but involving people with great talent that were just kinda of on the cusp. You just can't replicate that these days. There's just like even the nice, you know, remasters, there's just a cool eeriness to it, I find. Yeah, and it was in an era when It makes Canada seem archaic, but it was (laughs) in an era where Canada had CBC Mm -hmm. and the radio and did not have the industry we have now where in big cities like Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, there's all kinds of productions going on, Canadian and international. Mm -hmm. And Ottawa has movies, even though they're mostly Christmas TV movies, (laughs) filming all the time. But at the time... For a movie to be made in Canada in the 70s, I don't think there was a lot of boom operators or cinematographers. So it was really a rare thing. And I think as hard as it is to ever make a movie, back then must have just been an undertaking. Yeah, and I picture it being just like you have your guerrilla crew of ragtag people. You've got your seven, eight guys and they do what they have to do. Today you're a boom operator. Tomorrow you're doing (laughs) sets. or Well, you don't have sets, like props. And there is a feel that they're very much... We're screened as midnight movies. Mm. We're screened as the B picture at a drive-in after something much more popular. Yeah. And they were made off of grant money. And Rabid, I read a bit about it, just has those great stories of they maybe fudged their way through what the grant money was being used for. Yeah. And then the powers that be saw the final product and were like, you didn't say you were doing this with it. <laughs> and then the movie was profitable and got some nice reviews. So then they were kind of stuck and they're like, okay, fine. We're not going to sue you and take the money back. That almost sounds like the plot of X if they hadn't gotten killed at the end. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler, I Spoiler. guess. But horror movies happen. But no, Rabbit, I really, I love Rabbit. I've always liked this. And like, and it's pretty cool. Like Marilyn Chambers went from adult film to this like starring role and does such a good job. And Shivers, I liked too, but there's something about Rabbit for me. There's just a real, like I said, like an eeriness to it. And it's very like, they use the countryside very well. And there's just like... I don't know. That's the kind of Cronenberg I guess I prefer. Like just that kind of early stuff where it's kind of like the early Romero stuff, you know, where they're just like figuring out how to make this and they are pulling it off, but you're just sort of, there's a real, yeah, like a gorilla aspect to it that it almost is like, we don't know if this is going to work. And thank God it did. And thinking big, like Mm. instead of being like, oh, we got $50,000, let's go make a Blair Witch or Mm -hmm. a Clerks kind of thing. They're like, no, let's do this crazy stuff. Yeah. And Romero did that. Cronenberg did that. A lot of those genre filmmakers before genre was almost a thing. Yeah. no, And it definitely reminds me of the crazies a little bit. Just that kind of like smallish town vibe. And like there's uh, not 
I don't know. I don't want to give away too much, but you know, people are being infected in ways. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, those there's just something about that early kind of, I guess, like Lee's stuff, you know, when he was starting out where you're just sort of like trying to make it work and you've got your, your little crew and please God, let us pull this off kind of thing. Yeah. It's everything that's cool about making movies is when little projects like this get off the ground and decades later are still being seen in theaters like the Mayfair. It's really yeah. cool. And then this is a 4K remaster? Or? I believe so. Yeah. And it's Agfa, which ah, I yeah, love Agfa. Anytime so we get good. an Agfa thing on screen is cool. It's pretty cool just to think that this has lasted so long that it now has a 4K remaster and is being played in theaters again. Like, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So another classic film we have this week. We are kicking off a mini film festival of Westerns yes. throughout July, which is really fun because I'm not positive. I wouldn't swear on this, but I'm pretty sure I have somehow never seen any of these movies. Really? Yeah. See, my dad was a giant Western fan, but more of the Clint Eastwood era hmm. that came right after this. Well, so, like the intense Western era. Yeah. So when I was a kid, we watched all the spaghetti Westerns mm -hmm. and Clint Eastwood and even TV stuff like Lonesome Dove. Wow. But I don't think I got into this kind of thing. And it's funny. Anytime now people complain about kids today not watching classics, and I'm like... Yeah, but in the 80s, I wasn't watching stuff from the 40s. Yeah. So how can you expect kids today to be watching stuff from the 60s or whatever? They might eventually, but leave them alone. They're doing other things. Yeah, it's interesting to like think about the age of who's into what. Because like, my dad is 80 or whatever. -ish. Right. And so when I was a kid, this was the kind of stuff that he watched, this era. But he wasn't really into that later era with the Eastwood stuff. Like, I'm sure he liked stuff here and there. Like, I know we had Outlaw Josie Wales, but that's the only one I can remember. But it was really more of the John Wayne stuff and, like, you know, Gary Cooper and all that stuff, you know. So it's kind of funny. Like, my dad is, I don't want to say he's a real wuss, but, like, he does <laughs> not like horror. He doesn't like gore or anything like that. So I think when you got into the more violent, actual realistic stuff, that was kind of a turnoff for him, I'm assuming. And he really liked the more, this is how it was and, look, the white guy won again or whatever, you know. And so, like... I don't know. It's nice that to have that connection and there is kind of a lost feeling to that. But yeah, I mean, I guess I would prefer something that's a little more realistic, probably. Yeah, it's just fun seeing old Westerns on the screen that we don't usually get to screen these kind of films. So and these are all new digital restorations. The first one we're screening is called Red River. It was a best screenplay and film editing nominee at the Oscars back in 1948. Damn and all kinds of glowing reviews from Roger Ebert and that sort of thing. Then throughout the month, we're screening High Noon, Shane, 310 to Yuma, and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. So, so that, that, I love that one. I'm going to try to catch all these movies. I've seen High Noon and Liberty Valance. Those are like two of my favorite Westerns. And I say that as someone who's seen 10 Westerns. Right, know, but, yeah. but still, they both amazing theme songs, great actors. Like Jimmy Stewart's so good. And like Liberty Valance, highly recommend that one, despite John Wayne being in it. But still, you know. Yeah, there's always the issue where <laughs> everyone in Hollywood ever is a monster. Yeah, and I will say, like, I threw this out to my dad at this festival because I was like, he's not moving well. You know, I was like, we're not going to another sports thing or concert or anything no. like this. It's just not going to happen. And so I sent him this as just a, like, oh, we'll be there in spirit. And then my mom messaged back like two hours later and was like, okay, he's in. Cool. And, and so he's going to come to two of these when my brother's going to be up and we're going to try to time it out perfectly. But I was just, so I'm kind of shocked and like, I guess he was like having a down day and now he's actually hyped to have plans for the oh, first. Oh, that's the best. The like best. he hasn't had plans in years, basically. <laughs> right. and so basically, thanks to you guys, you know, my dad is knock on wood going to pull this <laughs> off. And this will be the last, like he's, you know, not to be a downer, but he was like, this may be the last thing. Oh, no, Eric, that is a downer. <laughs> I know, but it's going to be at the Mayfair. And so that's great. It is, it is so nice. Every Christmas we screen 
God, I think for quite a number of years now we screened It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. And the last time we screened it, COVID has made everything a blur. I can't remember if we missed last Christmas because of COVID. So either, either last year or the year before, just this amazing senior 80-year-old couple all dressed up <laughs> came to see It's a Wonderful Life. And you imagine that this couple has watched this movie a few times over their marriage. Mm -hmm. And it probably means something to them. And, and they came out and they thanked us. They were like, oh, thanks for showing this. And it's just like... Oh, it just, it just it gets you right in the heart where you're like, oh, yes, this place is important. And amidst all the stress and the having to run around to get new receipt rolls for the <laughs> cash register, which I had to do yesterday because somebody forgot to order some. So I had to go to <laughs> Staples. And if there hadn't been any, we would have been screwed because that paper needs to go through there for the machine to work. Mm -hmm. So all these dumb things that get in your way and eat up two hours of your day, you're like, Oh, it's all worth it because of stories like what you just said about your yeah. dad, you know? And and so do come check out this Western Fest. It's going to be a lot of fun. West Fest. West Fest. I like it. And I like that every single one you found had at least one five-star review, which I thought was great. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> the internet is useful for that. Yeah, yeah. So then before we wrap things up, we'll talk about two new acclaimed films we have. One is called The Phantom of the Open and one is called Official Competition. They both look great. And Phantom of the Open is with the great Mark Rylance, who mm -hmm. has made this amazing middle age, not even a resurgence, but this middle age stardom into films. Or like because yeah, he was he's a stage actor and a mm -hmm. TV actor, a lot of British stuff. Really, I think thanks to Spielberg, he got on the big screen yeah. and he's getting starring roles in these cool little indie dramas and comedies mm -hmm. the last few years. And this is basically a true story of a really bad golfer. That's what it's about. <laughs> so it's about me, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's just one of those small town UK kind of stories with blue collar characters. Hmm. A nice lighthearted, yeah. which is nice because we've been screening some heavy movies of <laughs> yeah. late. It's nice to get a nice light one in there every once in a while. We, we love these. This is like our bread and butter. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then official competition is Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz, who are just always good. Yeah. Always good. Always. Like, since they showed up, thanks to earlier stuff they were in, more mainstream stuff they were in, but that they continue to do international productions mm -hmm. while mixing in very mainstream Hollywood type stuff is just great. And this movie is one of those movie movies. So it's about a billionaire who wants to make a movie. Mm -hmm. And it's a comedic, farcical, slapstick almost look at dummies making a movie the dummy genre that <laughs> yeah. we're so fond of and i think he's got a beard in this one i think so whether he's doing zorro or puss in boots or desperado <laughs> four rooms just ah i think he's really good yeah, yeah and he's a movie star and same with penelope cruz like she'll do a heavy international drama like a lot of them a lot of them <laughs> and just so good so i'm looking forward to this and often movie movies aren't huge at the box office which is funny because mm -hmm. you're like oh most people don't care about behind the scenes yeah so a movie like the player despite being filled with people kind of doesn't hit at the box office yeah but they're fun and they're a distinct crowd they're a mayfair type crowd for sure yeah i guess like mank was the most recent one but that's not quite the same yeah, type yeah, thing, yeah. but you know and then i almost forgot to mention we are holding over everything everywhere all at once for a third week oh wow in a row is it or in a row okay wow it's huge so only 15 more <laughs> to get to parasite i believe and it has to be doing well if we keep bringing it back obviously so yeah it is and there's days where i don't want to hurt the feelings of the other movies where the matinee will be 10 people and the 6 30 show will be 15 people 
and then everything will be 75 people. Man, that's so huge. it's a really interesting skew of people knowing this movie and having not seen it when it was at the multiplex for mm-hmm. a couple months. I am appreciative that people were confident in us that we were going to get this. Yeah, and 75 is like a pandemic 150. Oh, it is, yeah. <laughs> so. so, yep, hopefully we'll do well again and bring it back and at least get a month out of it. Yeah, That'd be yeah. fun. Keep the good times rolling. Because it's good. I mean, we've gushed about it a few weeks in a <laughs> row now, but do come see that movie. Yeah, there's a reason it's still here, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is our movies for Canada Day week, and we are open on Canada Day, mm. which we haven't tried at least in our run before. Mm-hmm. And I think we were just like, ah, what the hell? And asked a few of the staff members and they were like, yeah, I don't mind. Because who knows? I don't know what's going on with Canada Day right now. Yeah. I don't want to jinx it, but we might be invaded by bikers and truckers again in yeah. Ottawa. If you can come from the Riverside section and not the Down Bank Street <laughs> section, maybe try that. Try but, that. But try you that. Know, look into it. A lot of our customers are within a walk into the cinema neighborhood Mm -hmm. so they might not want a brave going downtown we'll see i don't want to jinx anything but sometimes find it's nice to go to a movie on a bright sunny afternoon and then go out to dinner afterwards or or do canada day stuff at night or sorry do canada day stuff during the day and then come see everything everywhere at night you almost blew that one (laughs) go somewhere else at night no no no, the movies movies. only come here and this was the first year i noticed that escapade festival wasn't at lansdowne so there wasn't as many throngs of i don't want to say young people but you're wrong it was at lansdowne that's where it was yeah oh someone told me it was in gatineau maybe there was a double down but i know because i was walking the dog one night and saw multiple i guess it was people going to both daytime and nighttime okay but i saw a number of mostly naked individuals (laughs) heading in a certain direction and i'm like Okay, this is the concert, and then at nighttime, you could just hear it on the wind. Yeah, just the slight, like, bump, bump, bump. But you see these people, which is great, good on them, dressed, like, kind of out of Blade Runner or Ooh. possibly a Lady Gaga backup dancer. Oh, that sounds pretty good. So I look at them like an old man, and I go, oh, I hope you have your sunblock on. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I can't be in the non-shade for more than a couple of minutes. Without bursting into flame. Yeah, yeah, it's not worth it. So, yeah, so thanks for listening, everybody. You can find more information on upcoming films at mayfairtheater.ca and on all the social medias. And we look forward to having you back on these beautiful summer days to sit in our air-conditioned cinema and watch some great movies. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Oh, happy 25th anniversary to Face Off. Happy 25th anniversary, yeah. Face Off. It was yesterday, like exactly yesterday. I was like, I got to shout that out or we'll forget Face Off. Have you bothered Lee to screen the 25th anniversary of Face Off? We'll get there. <laughs> you gotta come quick. You gotta come quick and get me. You can't trust your mother. Your best friend. The neighbor next door. Pray it doesn't happen to you. Rabbit.